Here's the thing is like, if you, if you don't talk about it, it's still there. It doesn't make it go away. It just makes less people understand it. Welcome to episode 35 of About IBD. I'm Amber Tresca. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is one type of inflammatory bowel disease, or IBD, when I was 16. At 26, I had two-step J-pouch surgery to treat my disease. I'm the IBD expert at VeryWell.com and the person behind AboutIBD.com and the About IBD social media platforms. Today, you're going to hear the story of Megan Starshack, an avid runner and cyclist from the Midwest who also lives with ulcerative colitis. I caught up with her in New York and we sat down to chat about her experiences. She approaches her disease in a way many patients find difficult because she is all about starting the conversation to destigmatize IBD. Megan's story of being diagnosed with ulcerative colitis started when she was 18 years old. Her first sign that something was out of place came at a really inopportune time, which has oddly come to define the rest of her disease journey. My symptoms actually started on a run. And it is something that has tied together my story from the very beginning all throughout through today. Um, I was actually just one week before my 18th birthday. And as high school seniors do, we went down to Florida for spring break. Um, And instead of partying hard, we went for a run on the beach. And all of a sudden, I got to go to the bathroom like so bad. Find a bathroom. Thank goodness. I go to the bathroom, loose stools, like that was weird. Um, We keep running and I have to go again like 10 minutes later. Um, And we finish our run and I have to go again. Um, And at the time being, you know, just about 18 and and just having a very like non-significant childhood, just a happy little suburban childhood, um, I didn't think anything of it. And... Um, since then, I've learned that running is can be a trigger for my symptoms. So the rest of the trip was fine because we didn't go running again. It was kind of like our one, our one time, and um, so I got home and didn't think anything of it until track practice started up for the spring season, and I started to have to use the bathroom um, about ten minutes into every warm up every time, and so I started to realize like I was routing my warm-up near certain bathrooms in our high school. And it was, again, it was loose. It was urgent. It was gassy. It was weird. And I was, you know, looking forward to graduating high school and spending the summer with my friends. And, like, there's just, like, this weird thing started just kind of trickling in. Megan found herself doing exactly what many of us do at the start of symptoms. We don't understand what's happening especially because most of us have never heard of ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease before. The signs and symptoms of the disease ramp up so slowly that we don't even recognize how much our normal has shifted until someone close to us 
steps in and comments on how much we've changed. It started to get a little bit worse. Um, and it kind of sneaks up on you. And as many patients know, you you sort of fine-tune your, your sense of normal. And it doesn't, sometimes it changes drastically, but sometimes it just kind of, you adjust and your body adjusts and you adjust and your body adjusts. And before you know it, like you're off the charts and you didn't even remember getting there. Um, so finally, my mom was noticing that I was spending a lot of time in the bathroom and having a lot of abdominal pain. And I was glad she said something because I, I don't know why I'd never thought to bring it up, but I like, I didn't really know there was diseases out there except maybe colon cancer. And my mom said something and I had a colonoscopy and was immediately diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And that was in June before, uh, before I went off to college. So I hear a lot of patients talk about sort of of diagnosis being this big moment for them. And for me, it wasn't. Um, as I said, like my symptoms didn't really start out that bad. They kind of were just like this thing. And like, now you have this thing and now this thing has a name and like, but we're, you know, we're buying sheets and laundry baskets and computers um, and doing all of this like really exciting kind of, this is a, this is a big step in my life. This diagnosis is just sort of this side project. I went to a school where I didn't know anybody from high school and I wanted to just have this like brand new, very, again, normal, being a subjective word, um, experience. So I I don't think that I was denying it as much as I was just kind of focusing on other things and started college. And um, again, symptoms got worse and I was on just the five ASAs and nobody really explained it to me uh, on any level. When you're a fairly normal, healthy-ish kid, your framework of sickness is you get sick and your doctor gives you pills and you take those pills for 10 days and then you're better and you never have to think about it again. And the two things that, that don't apply to chronic illness are, one, you don't get better. You don't just take a course of something and call it and just get through it. It is a forever disease and that's something that... No matter how many times people tell you or you read it, it you, you have to have that sink in for you. Me being a naive teenager starting college and and thinking like, oh, here's this side thing and I've got these pills and um, and whatever, I can take a couple pills. Well, it was, it was 12 pills a day um, and not have to worry about it. And symptoms got worse. And I had my first course of prednisone and nobody told me what that would be like. Um, and just kind of throughout the, the four years of college, everything just progressed and progressed and progressed. And the emotional journey that goes with that is, is honestly what I remember looking back is, is some of the physical pain and exhaustion, but more of the emotional pain and feeling lonely and feeling misunderstood and feeling, um, honestly just feeling like I wasn't worth it um and in spending all of my time going eventually going to class at a part-time job where I had to cut down my hours and hang out in my apartment sleeping and just trying to recoup some energy that I was losing just from being sick and I try not to give up on on college um and throughout this time I mean Running was a thing that I tried to hold on to. Megan found that her symptoms were keeping her from running. 
she would run a tenth of a mile and have to stop and use the bathroom. She would start up again only to find that once again she had to stop. It got to the point where she realized that putting in more effort or trying to push through was not going to help. Like many people with IBD, she found that she had to face the reality of her new normal and the decision she made was crushing. And so one day I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I need to stop running indefinitely. And that took away a big part of my identity. Um, and I had always been the runner in high school and that's where I met my friends and that was my passion and that was my stress relief and that was like my time with nature and then my time in my, in my own mind and, um, you know, and people would come to me for running advice and, you know, what, what are the newest shoes out? Like, what are good races? And now I'm like, I, I lost a huge part of who I was and didn't expect that to hit me in, in what might seem like a, a simple decision of like, be, be lazier. This is not, not really what happened, but, you know, stop running. And, and it, in a way it broke my heart that he didn't know would, would happen. Um, so again, throughout college, I just, I look back at college and I just, I don't have like this, this happy sort of time period in my life. I just remember sort of this, this emptiness and this loneliness kind of dotted with fun things because again, as many patients know, there's good days and there's bad days. Um, there were, there were more bad days. And I remember people ask, telling me things like, oh, call us when you're when you're better and come out with us, like we'll go to a party or whatever. And I'm there, there is no better. It's, that's not what chronic disease is. That's not how it works. And suddenly I noticed the maturity difference between myself and my peers when, when I had to manage this thing and come to terms with this thing and, and, and deal with the emotional effects, um, while everyone was out partying. Um, and so I grew up faster than I think a lot of people in that period of time. Uh, another thing that I think also happened during that time was I really noticed my priorities changed and this one was for the better, even though it was really, it's really tough to be out of line with your peers it's when, when they think that road trips and keg stands are really important. And I'm thinking like, oh my God, health is the most valuable thing out there. And you, you, you guys don't get it. Like nobody gets it. Um, and watching people around me, you know, work hard at school and, and have these like aspiring career goals. And, and honestly, like people talked about getting a job and making a lot of money. And, and I just remember in that time being like, you are all after this thing. And, uh, and obviously a decent salary is important to survive and, you know, healthcare, that whole thing. Um, but I would just remember a moment in college alone in my apartment and it hit me like no amount of money that you all will will make because of your college education, because of your networking or your whatever. Um, you can't buy health and you can't buy friends. And I think that for me is something that is, has driven me since since that point in my life of spending my time and energy on on what I know that I value in my heart because I've had things like that taken away and, and it's helped me keep a balance throughout. Um, 
I think, throughout my adult life. IBD is most often diagnosed in people between the ages of 15 and 30. There's been some study that shows that because teens with IBD are not prepared to cope with a diagnosis of a chronic illness, that they communicate and interact less with their peers. Megan felt so far removed from the college experience that years later while traveling, she was approached by a friend of a friend, and she didn't have much memory of the time they'd known each other. She thinks that in a way she's blocked that period out of the narrative of her life, and she feels as though she lost her college career to the experience of being so ill with ulcerative colitis. The Megan from college who was so sick is not the same Megan that sat down to interview with me. Today, she's active in her local area as well as in the IBD community, and she told me that she has also run two marathons. I asked her how she got back to running, and it turns out that the path was not a direct one. So it actually came through cycling. Um, so I had discovered cycling as, a, as an alternative to running that was easier on my body. And it's something that you, can, you don't have the same jarring, you don't have sort of the same core engagement with, with running. So as I started to get healthier, I, um, I got my cardio back that way. And it took a long time to fully get back into running. There's sort of the physical and the emotional track to that. Um, I had tried to come back from it after I was um, feeling better a couple times. And it, and I, I was afraid to stick with it because I thought it was going to get taken away again. Um, and I was, it, again, hit with this unexpected emotional impact of you you're not really a runner anymore like if you try this like you're just gonna fail you're just gonna get yourself sick again um you're you don't deserve this like this life has told you you are not a runner anymore um so finally through cycling um I signed up for a half Ironman triathlon because I wanted something that I have to be diligent with training I can't half-ass it like I I need to do this well and I, it will make myself get out of bed and get in those miles um and do it and so I did it my goal was to finish and I finished um and that kind of restarted everything for me and so during that training I did my first half marathon which which is part of the distance of the triathlon so so before the triathlon race a half marathon I did the half marathon and I loved it. I loved the distance. Um, I was fairly happy with my time. Um, I found some great running friends and got back to it that way. And that for me was kind of the one that I'm like, oh my God, I'm really a runner again. Like the first time I did a 10 mile run, I was like, I did double digits and then I did a half marathon. And I was like, I just did this thing that I that at one point I couldn't even walk around the block. I, I couldn't run without having to stop for the bathroom. And I just like did this whole big thing and it's, it just refueled everything. And um, I'm just really, really grateful that my body even now allows me to do that. And that's something that I think about when I run is, um, is 
running is painful sometimes, a lot of times, but you see is, is painful. Um, and the way that I look at it is when I run, it's a, it's a pain that I invite into my life and it's a pain that I can control and it's a pain that I can stop and walk if I need to. And UC offers none of that. Um, so in a way it's this, this relationship with it that's different than relationship with disease and Yeah, that's kind of one of the comparisons that stays in my head um, while I'm running. We all know exercise is a part of a healthy lifestyle and that we should get a certain amount every day. For people with IBD, though, getting daily exercise can be tricky. There's not been a lot of research on how exercise affects IBD, but there have been a few studies that show that a moderate amount can help improve patients' quality of life. I asked Megan about how she trains for races and her philosophy on what that means in the larger concept of being a person living with a chronic illness. Um, So with training, I have done two full marathons and the first one, I just kind of loosely followed an online plan and the second one I worked with a coach. Um, But with both experiences and I think with just the experience of disease in general, what you learn to do is adapt quite often. And so I really, really learned to listen to my body, which again, as patients, I think we're much more in tune with our bodies than a typical person. But so I learned to listen and figure out when I needed to eat and what was good to eat. Um, I made routes with bathrooms um, all along the way. We have a great park system where I live. So uh, my route that I that I typically do for long runs, I will have a bathroom every half mile to mile and a half, which is which is manageable. I have kept cycling in as cross training because that's a great way to get in the cardio and get in some of the strength uh, workouts with your with your legs um, that you might not get with running, or it's it's a good physical benefit with less stress on your body. Um, so I've, I've definitely used that as a good tool and I've also incorporated yoga, which is phenomenally beneficial. It's not going to cure IBD. Let's just make sure that's out there. But, um, but to have a, a workout that strengthens your body, relaxes your mind, it focuses on core strength, which is hugely important for anyone. It focuses on, um, hips and glutes and flexibility, um, and that's, again, that's another great way that, that once a week or twice a week, I have that on my training schedule that allows me to do less running, less miles, and still get in um, a physical benefit. And then I, I've, I've taken some time to tell myself that if I need to deviate from my plan because I need to listen to my body, that's okay. Changing one workout isn't going to disrupt my entire training plan, and it's more beneficial to listen to your body and adjust it and adapt as you need to than to just kind of power through. Megan is also a marketing professional and a talented graphic designer. She is the co-founder of a nonprofit called The Great Bowel Movement. If you haven't heard the name before, did you laugh? The cleverness goes beyond the catchy name because the philosophy of The Great BM is one that brings the IBD community into a new space as Megan explains. I cannot take credit for the name and it is called the Great Bowel Movement. And 
there's there's sort of aside from like I mean admittedly I think it's awesome too but it's two things it's one we truly want to start a movement and I believe that we have um seen some some ripple effects of that uh, and our mission is to empower patients or caregivers or medical professionals or anyone affected to let them know that it's okay to be open I mean whoever ever told us that we need to be embarrassed like let's stop and think like why are we embarrassed about a disease that we did nothing to get that we do our best to control but our disease is really it's it's doing its thing why do we need to embarrass about that um we don't and so it's really just is sort of activating the patient community or the the affected community to share their stories and start conversations and just talk about it in a very real authentic way our experiences and this disease is, is very complex in so many ways in physical in emotional spiritual mental social every every aspect of our lives is touched by this and and for me personally I realized that it was okay to be open when I heard other people being open and heard other people talking about the same disease that I had without the anger that I had and without the embarrassment that I had. And it was just one of those light bulb moments that I was like, oh, I can live with this. Like other people are living with this. You can talk about this. You can live with this. You can find the silver linings and you can have a successful life. Um, and, and the more people that do that, that are open and showing others that they can be open and getting those stories out there, the more we can really truly create a movement of awareness and in this very, very authentic way. And the other thing about it is it's called the great bell movement. Like once you say that you have nothing else to be embarrassed about because literally named our organization, like, you know, we get a lot of like, really, like, really? yeah. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Like, okay, let's do this. Um, so now our, our mission since we started in 2010 has again been to empower patients to get those stories out there in their own voice, in their own authentic way to tell, you know, to tell their boss for the first time or to, you know, post on social media for the first time and blast it. Um, and so what we, what we strive to do is put out some resources and tools and content in a very down-to-earth language that uh, mimics conversations because, because ultimately I want people to find a piece of, of content or a prompt on social media and be like, this is, this, is, oh, this is my story too. This is putting words to something that I couldn't put words to. And because of this, I'm educating those around me. Hey, super listener. Special thanks to Megan Starshack for sharing her disease journey and for starting the conversation at the Great Bowel Movement. You can find the Great Bowel Movement on their website at thegreatbowelmovement.org or on their social media platforms as The Great BM. I will put all the links in the show notes for you. You may have seen people in the community wearing the t-shirts Megan has designed, which read, ask me about my IBD or my Crohn's disease or my ulcerative colitis or my ostomy, or my J-pouch. You can get those at thegreatballmovement.org. Thanks for listening. Let me know how you like the show. And if you're really motivated, you can leave a review in Apple Podcasts. 
and that helps me keep everything moving. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD.